Welcome to Relevant Tones. Uh, I'm Stephen Anthony Rawson. I am here with Austin Williams. Hey, man. <laughs> hey, Austin. This is our first collaborative episode, so we're going to find our rhythm. Yeah, yeah. We're here today to talk about text scores and verbal notation. Yeah, we were literally just talking about before the episode started how it's a pretty broad spectrum of what that could mean and how it's kind of interpretive. When we were talking about pieces to do for this episode, some pieces from like mid 20th century came up as like good examples. So I don't know, do you want to bring up a couple of those examples right now to kind of lay the groundwork of where we're jumping off from maybe or? Yeah, I think that would be fun. It's it's funny too, because like even looking at the history of this, I found out that we can even go back to Eric Satie because it's oh. like always we go back to Eric Satie, right? Yeah. Oh, that's funny, really. <laughs> and he has text scores going back. He has a couple of them going back, I think, to like 1909, 1913. Wow. Uh, that, of course, are just silly, right? They're like, uh, right. I think I found one that was like, um, the essence of it was like, to perform this score, don't perform it. Don't read this out loud kind of thing. You yeah. know? And then you perform the piece. Yeah. I, it's not too surprising because I was like part of that Dada movement and all that stuff, right? So just like absolute absurdism, like nothing makes sense. So let's be ridiculous. Yeah, totally. So yeah, Dada. And then like mid 20th century, you get that second wave of Dada, Fluxus, which has like mm-hmm. political based radical avant-garde mm-hmm. art making. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's happening with like George Machunas and like uh, Allison Knowles and people like and John Cage. Yeah, yeah. That like uh, Greenwich Village scene uh, during that yeah. time in New York for sure. What's like one example that you're, and you don't have to pick one, but like what's a, what's an example you kind of wanted to bring up? Yeah, even starting with Flux, this might be fun because uh, yeah. I've had a recording of this one we can feature. So George Machunas, who's who wrote like the Fluxus Manifesto, yeah, wrote a piece, um, a series of pieces called Piano Piece, mm-hmm. and there's this one that was performed by Sonic Youth. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So there's this great recording. There's even a video on YouTube. You can watch them performing the piece. The text for the score, I don't actually have the text, but I can describe what it, it tells you to do. It sure. says, like, a group of people get together, and one by one, you nail down every key on the piano <laughs> one at a time until, <laughs> until all the pitches have been completely nailed down. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, that reminds me of. Um, I don't think it was in the same spirit or even related to this piece, but um, there's like a DIY venue or whatever you want to call it um, in Chicago here called Comfort Station, and they did this like whole performance art piece. Like they they were getting a new piano and they were getting rid of their old one. It was so bad they were like it's beyond repair. Like no one they were trying to donate it and get rid of it, but like no one would take it for a year basically. So they decided to do this like performance art piece of just like dismantling this piano and i think like uh it just like reminded me of that to an extent where they were you know just taking it apart or uh but it was kind of like that one by one you know like when they did it it seemed like they would like focus on like one aspect of the piano at a time so yeah (laughs) yeah i like that you know that whole art as dismantling and art as uh, detritus stuff is is really interesting i like what i like about this piece too is it's like it's audacious on the one hand. It's like you're destroying a piano. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's just absurd. But I think, like, on there's that side of things. And then, like, when I listen to it, like, I kind of take it seriously. I'm like, yeah. those 
incidental polyrhythms are really interesting in how they're hammering us, you know.
I'm going to actually, I've been rehearsing a text score kind of for this episode and I'll maybe since it's still fluxus, I'll just briefly describe the process of it. Yeah. This is one by Robert Ashley. It's for, it's for electric organ with two manuals and it asks for you to create 36 stacks of pennies. So like here, I'll, I'll show you, I've got like my rehearsal props here. I've got like a big stack of pennies. Yeah. Right. You can't see them. But they tip over like so easily that it's super hard to perform the damn piece. Okay. Uh, but it asks you to move them from one manual. You know, you place them on one manual heads up and the other manual tails up. And you're gradually placing them and then having to move them to other pitches throughout the text. Oh, wild. In the score. And then gradually remove them again. So the piece is kind of determined by not by pitch or by duration, but just by this process of like, put heads here. Okay, now put tails here. Now make sure all the manuals are heads except for one, you know, and yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's really fun to perform it, but I found out like, or to rehearse it, it's interesting because I'm having to think technically as a performer, like, how do I hold these pennies? <laughs> that they don't tip over and yeah. ruin the whole piece. So I'm like having to think about technique. Okay. Is this heavy enough to like just depress this key? <laughs> like, Oh my gosh. That's so funny. What a, <laughs> what a tedious task to like ask a performer to do.
the one piece that came to mind when I when we were conspiring this episode was um, Steve Reich's uh, Pendulum music. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess like I I was new as like a text score, but like it's such a um, auditory experience. And this isn't to say that like a verbal score isn't that because it's going to be, but like you know I always not assume, but like I was like oh yeah that is just like instructions that are like you know given to performers and like this is what they do it's not there's no like codified notation for like how to swing you know a microphone over a speaker (laughs) yeah something i've always liked about pendulum music in relation to like piano phase and Mm -hmm. like even like new york counterpoint or you know is it's still this idea of process music okay we we set things in motion and then the process determines like the note-to-note details, but also the overall form unfolding in front of us. Different from piano phase where the pianist is, the performer is actually playing it. I think in this text score, Steve Reich asks everyone to, all the performers to like sit down and watch it and listen. Mm-hmm. It's like, the, it's almost the absence of human interaction that you're, you're witnessing. It's the yeah. natural, you know, you're just, you know, you're watching a physical phenomenon. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you.
talk about that era, like Anthony Braxton, of course, had like um, was known for like obviously like graphic notation, but like a lot of times it wasn't necessarily written down, but a performance of his would just be him and his collective and they would talk about it beforehand and then just like go for it, you know? So, yeah. So I think like, and I like, I love Anthony Braxton. I think you're like bringing him up is an interesting point. You know, there's text music for, you know, indeterminacy or to, yeah. you know, specify temporal parameters that are not so easy to notate in traditional notation, but there's sure. also like text music as improvisation yeah, um, yeah. And, it, and it all comes down like a lot of that school is like Anthony Braxton and like Pauline Oliveros is like is all comes down to like listening and how when you interact with it and making sure that you're like intentionally interacting with it. That's like my big takeaway with like those two specific artists of their their music seems always so intentional and, um, and just deliberate. And it's, you know, in the way that it's done. Have we performed a Polly and Oliveros piece before together? I can't remember if we have, but like the 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 couple times I've done them, I just I I feel like exhausted in like a good way, but I feel like very mentally drained afterwards because you have to like concentrate and focus on like the tiniest details, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we've done one together. I've I, yeah, but I've I've done a couple on my own, and I, I I agree. Like it, you put a lot of yourself into it. Yeah, and a lot of other people. It's a very empathetic way of making mm. music. I think. Yeah, totally. I know uh, a colleague of ours that we went to school with, Davey Sumner, has a number of written scores slash installations. And that's kind of like, I feel like that's where you start to see the trend in like a a written um, verbal score um, in the 21st century or, you know, uh, uh, in the 90s, where you're, it's, it's like group participation, maybe you know, opposite of what John Zorn was doing, but it's like you, you're inviting people to come like have a group like uh, experience with this piece. And a lot of times like, you know, the, the average individual is not versed in music lingo, you know, that's just like, that's the reality of it. So you find a way to like effectively communicate this idea of like, Oh, how do we incorporate um, your, your average person coming through and how can they find this interesting and engaging at the same time? And so I, you know, um, a number of, a number of installation artists, um, fall into this category of, you might walk up to the installation, there's like instructions at the beginning of it. And then, you know, you're just kind of like in for the ride, you know, and that's, that's the piece, you know, um, and it's also a physical experience, which I think is very tangible and relatable. Yeah. I don't know if you've had this experience ever. I, 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 uh, I did once in grad school in Oregon, I, we did a Pauline Oliveros concert um just tribute right right the month after she passed but yeah. there was some or- original music written in homage to her so some people who are living but something i realized is that yeah this music we're talking about accessibility you're talking about the benefits of, of making writing music um setting parameters that are accessible to anyone yeah yeah is that this idea of performing a lot of musicians i think we can take performance for granted and how uncomfortable it can be for some people even to join in. And I've, I've found that experience, too, that there are people who text scores that I, I've seen that I feel are encouraging yeah. people to participate in. Or even ones where, I mean, I like that I think a lot of text scores, I don't find too many that are for soloists. I think a lot of them where they kind of ask for you to get a group together. And 
rehearse it. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like having a party, you know, a weird party where you're, yeah. you know, all like making, you know, mouth sounds and stuff. But it's a, I think it's like a cool event. It'd be really kind of fun to get together and do these things. So it has this like super social component to it too. Totally. Here in Seattle, I, I was a guest artist at uh, Northwest School, which is a art high school here. Mm-hmm. And I got to work with these high school students with text and graphic notation. But we ended up doing a lot with text, which was just using consonant sounds and vowel sounds. Mm-hmm. like. And what I thought was really cool is the first thing that a lot of them picked up on was that you could do beatboxing by just notating. So it was like, right? P-T-T. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and then, so you know, right away, these students, as they're messing around, they're going, <laughs> and notating. <laughs> this is way beyond what I thought this was going to be. That's so cool, uh, though. That's awesome. And, then, and they're notating it for, and these weren't like music kids. These are just kid kids. And they were like notating it and giving it to their friends and saying like, okay, here, here, here try to perform my, you know, my. Oh, that's my so cool. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm going to take this opportunity to bring up a piece by um, Noah Jenkins, a composer here in Chicago. Here's the actual score. Here's the, the performance instructions. Inside the performance space, make and hold a very quiet, sustained sound with your voice for a length of one long breath. When you have stopped making the sound, hold the sound in your mind continuously and without pause in as such detail as possible. Remember how it sounded, how it felt to make the sound except that the sound may change slightly as you hold it in your mind. When someone enters the performance space to receive the sound, make and hold the sound quietly for the other person to hear. As you are holding it, they will join and match the sound as closely as possible. Once they are making the sound, it is their care, and you may leave in the performance space. Uh, If you leave the performance space without entrusting the sound to someone else, the next person to enter the space can introduce a sound of their own. During your time holding the sound, do your best to get to know the sound as intimately as possible. Try not to leave the performance space until you know the sound well enough to remember it after you have left. When you have passed the sound to someone new, trust them to care for the sound just as well as you have cared for it. When you leave the space, remember the sound fondly but accept that it is no longer your responsibility to hold it. That's a really cool study in like impermanence. And um, I thought it was like a lovely way to like share a moment with somebody as well. You know, you're, you're kind of like even, and then even if you're not like, if you don't have the opportunity to like do that, then um, then it's like a moment for yourself, you know? I think that's a really beautiful text. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's got this idea of, and that's, we were talking about the language of the text. I can, I even feel just listening to you read it, this kind of tenderness, this appreciation for, you know, uh, holding on to the sound and trusting it to someone else is such a mindful way to think about the sound. You know, I can't say that if we bring it to conventional notation and we think about performance of like traditionally notated music, we don't always think of, uh, I don't know if everyone thinks of entrusting the audience with the sounds we make. And, right. Um, this is one that I think just really takes into consideration the uh, the impact that that mm-hmm. sound can have on us. Totally. Beautiful. I have one, but I'm not sure if we'll be able to find a recording for it. But I can read it. It's pretty short. I'll say this is, uh, before to introduce this one, something I like about a lot of 
text scores that I've seen are that I've noticed many of them have a dedication. Mm. And I, I like that. They're often to close friends or to other artists who've inspired them. This one is called Four Soul Wit. And the subtitle is One Glissando, Four Sustained Tones. Mm. And then it says... A uh, glissando that has a minimal, almost imperceptible slope that starts and ends at the midpoints in time of two sustained tones with the same duration. <laughs> so at most half the duration of the glissando, the first of which ends and the second of which begins in unison with the glissando. At the midpoint in pitch, uh, that is equidistant to two other sustained tones with the same duration, at least three times the duration of the glissando. The first of which ends and the second of which starts at the midpoint in time of the glissando. That's it. That's the text. Okay. It may, <laughs> um, it's like a math problem involved there. <laughs> it is, and it's a great contrast, I think, to Noah Jenkins' piece too, right? Yeah, to, yeah, yeah really have to think about it and and pick it apart right i should say that that piece was written by michael winter in 2009 and i'm not trying to dog on it but like i feel like in this context like a graphically notated event would be maybe be more effective because you can like you could see the ratios of like these these events going on then but i don't know it's interesting like how we choose to convey like you know our performance you know to other performers I will say it's a great example of like, and I think we all get there as, as people who write music or just create anything in general where like sometimes you get so far down the rabbit hole where you're just like, I just want this thing to happen. I don't care about the details, but I want this general thing to happen. Um, and I find that a lot with like music that I work on now where I'm just, I just want this general gesture to happen. I can give you some ideas, but I ultimately don't really care how it happens. And I will describe it the best I can. And here you go. And that's, you know, I, I think that like uh, maybe it's a cultural shift, but I've noticed that like a lot more um, performers now are like becoming more comfortable with improvising and stuff like that. So I feel I feel more comfortable like kind of giving that direction to performers because um they feel if I if you do it correctly, they feel empowered and have like the autonomy to like put their own voice into it and that's ultimately like my goal when I like do something like that and it's not you know maybe it's laziness but also it's like I can think of in my head I can think of like 20 ways to do this I, I think they're all equally valid so I'm just going to give you this like you know uh, general idea and, and maybe you can come up with a solution that I haven't you know I'm sitting in a room different from the one you are in now I'm recording the sound of my speaking voice as well as the image of myself, and I'm going to upload it to YouTube, rip it from YouTube, and upload it again and again, until the original characteristics of my, both my voice and my image are destroyed. What you will see and hear then are the artifacts inherent in the video codec of both YouTube and the MP4 format I convert it to on my computer. I regard this activity not so much as a demonstration of a digital fact, but more as a way to eliminate all human qualities my speech and image might have. I'm sitting in a room different from the one you are in now. I'm recording the sound of my speaking voice, as well as the image of myself, 
and I'm going to upload it to YouTube soon. Rip it from YouTube and upload it again and again until the original characteristics of my, both my voice and my image are destroyed. What you will see and hear then are the artifacts inherent in the video codec of both YouTube and the MP4 format I converted to to on my computer. I regard this activity not so much as a demonstration of a digital fact, but more as a way to eliminate all human bodies myself. I'm sitting in a room different from the one I'm in now. I'm recording the sound of my speaking voice as well as the video works on I think you touched on this a bit, but I'm kind of thinking of it now as I'm speaking. Um, you said you, you know, with text scores, you get you get kind of an insight to the composer. I think you get a lot of insight into their process as well, e- even if it's not, you know, overtly laid out in the text. I think that it's it's a hard thing to avoid. If I were to write out a te- uh, a score that was verbal instructions to the performer. I think it'd be really hard for me to not just um, somehow, you know, subliminally include like, this is how I'm thinking about this um, piece of music, you know, process wise. I feel like that, that would just like come through in the background, you know? Yeah. Something that, you know, I mean, because we're working, if you work in text, you're, you almost automatically are working in, some kind of medium like right you could make a text score that is a recipe you could make a text score that is a poem you could make a text score that is an instruction manual oh, right you're, son of you're a bitch. necessarily yeah, yeah. you're necessarily in dialogue with a genre of literature if yeah. you want to call a recipe i i would a genre of literature yeah yeah, yeah. that that, um, that sorry it just reminded me um my friend um and maybe i'll um i'm gonna i'm gonna speak about i'm gonna talk about this so i can maybe get it on there he wrote this lovely performance art piece um that's lo- basically about making breakfast and the score is um uh, he like he the score is nutrition facts on the back of nice. like uh, a thing like that's what it looks like and such a cool funny like I don't know. I love that concept where it's like, here's this thing that we all see probably on a daily basis without realizing it. And you're going to turn it into this meaningful text to like do a performance with it, you know? (laughs) Right. I think like, and I think that's, it's right. It's funny on the one hand. And it's, it's like that even the fluxus idea of this is just garbage (laughs) that we're turning into art. Right. Um, 
but it also like is it's politically charged whether we like it or not where yeah. if we think about nutrition facts we automatically think of health we automatically think of you know who has access to, to you know and nutrition and and things like that like yeah. it's I think all tech scores are inherently multi-layered like that, no matter what uh, yeah. what genre they're into. But that's cool. I would love to hear that performed. Well, the last piece I did want to bring up because I think it's super cool, and I think it does a lovely like um, kind of bridging this gap of like what a verbal score could look like, and also um, bringing it back to this idea of like community. So. It's this piece called The Bell Ringers by Danny Clay. And I don't know if you were in... I think you were still in town when this was performed, but it was performed by Third Coast Percussion in uh, Millennium Park in, like, 2019 in the September time. And <laughs> um, anyway, uh, it's uh, the score itself looks like a comic, and I think it's super cool. Oh, yeah, look, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And Danny, Danny Clay's, he has a lot of initiatives for like, um, music education, um, especially particularly for like early education. I think he is an early educator, so he writes a lot of music specifically so like kids could access it. So what I think is interesting is like, this is the score. And so people follow this that are participating in terms of like, if you are a, just a, an audience member, you were handed this and you were like, kind of guides you through the whole piece. And, and how it's yeah. going to go down and like um like these things like they tried slapping in it they tried clapping at it like these are very common things that like every every person can like participate in um for the most part um but then down below like there there is written um stuff for the actual because there are instruments like for the instrumentalists that are like performing with it so um, and then he has like stage plot. He does have some like Western notation stuff just to like give some like rhythms and some like pitches that are used for certain parts. But like for the most part, this is largely, you know, just written down. That's just kind of explained through all of that. That was kind of a cool um, culmination of like maybe a lot of the different things that we've talked about tonight. Yeah, I, I like that piece. So maybe for those who won't be able to see it, it looks like kind of like a web comic, or like you could imagine a comic strip in like a newspaper or mm-hmm. in a in a graphic book. Um, what I like about that that uh, is that it tells a story as right. you're going through it. See, like there's a there's a a bona fide narrative in it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's always the case in a lot of tech scores that seem more instructional. It's it's there to tell a story, and I. I like that. It's it, it accomplishes two things at the same time. It it it, it allows audience participation and it also tells like a, a you know kind of a cool narrative at the same time. Hey, that's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Relevant Tones is a production of Access Contemporary Music, a nonprofit organization with the mission of bringing musical creativity to life every day. Come find out more at acmusic.org.